So it was December, about mid-December, 1999. And I was walking out of class towards the parking lot, towards my uh, black 1990 Chevy Blazer. And there on the windshield, underneath the windshield wiper, was a note. It wasn't a parking ticket. It was a note from a girl. And I was like, "Woo! I got a note from a girl. So I pulled that thing out and read it. And I don't remember exactly what it said, but it said something along these lines. Hey, Chris, we should get together sometime during Christmas break. And there was a phone number. And it was signed by Lindsay Lamb. I haven't called her that in a long time because uh, 16 years ago, uh, we got married. And I gave her another last name. And things have been different. I never knew that day when I went out to my car to the parking lot to see the note underneath my windshield wiper, how much that letter was going to change my life. Letters are pretty important, powerful things. Like throughout history, they've been major. Did you ever like pass notes in school? You have some letters and you ever get caught passing notes in school? That's the best thing. And it's like, have you seen the commercial right now? The girl's passing notes and like the teacher calls her out. So she like eats the paper. Like maybe you did that. I don't know. Um, and maybe you have like that awkward shoebox from high school, you know, with all the notes in it. I hope you, if you're married now and you have notes from people that you wrote to in high school, you should get rid of those. You don't need those. And your kids definitely don't ever need to find those. So just put those away somewhere. Notes, notes are interesting, but some of them can be pretty powerful. Here's a letter. Uh, in 1776, a guy named Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to the King of England. It started a war. It also sparked a revolution that, you know, led to just this worldwide move for democracy and all kinds of things. Letters are powerful. Letters do many big things in the world. And, and, and today, as we're continuing in this Let's Open the Bible series, we're going to be looking at some really old but really powerful letters. Let me catch you up. If you've missed a few Sundays, or maybe this is your first day here, uh, let me tell you where we've been the last few weeks. We're in a, a five-week teaching series called Let's Open the Bible, and we had a pretty ambitious goal. The goal is to get through the entire Bible from cover to cover in just five weeks, and we've done pretty decently. The way that we've pulled this off is that each week we've assigned a single word to represent a whole section of Scripture, and then we're trying to unpack that and understand it, because what it is is to take like kind of a 10,000-foot view of what is in the Bible. So often we go to the Bible, we approach the Bible, and, and uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in the Bible. I went to college to study the Bible twice. I got two degrees that involve Bible. Uh, but often I will go to the Bible and not know where to find something or get to a section and be like, I feel like I've never even seen this before. And if you're new to the Bible, it can be really daunting. You, you look at the thing and from cover to cover, you're just like, what is even, what is even in this thing? And so our goal is to kind of step back and say, oh no, what's in there? So these are the words. We took one word to describe each section. And in each week, um, we covered a section. So the first week, does anybody remember the first week for the first word? The first word for the first week? Does anybody remember? Anybody? Beginnings. Beginnings. We went through the first 12 chapters of the Bible, which is in the book of Genesis. And the word was Beginnings. We saw the beginning of creation. We saw uh, God create everything. We also saw the beginnings of sin in the world. And then most importantly, we saw the beginnings of God's plan to put the world back together. That was beginnings. And he approaches this guy named Abraham, and he tells him, listen, I know that things are bad right now. I know that mankind is separated from God right now, but I have a plan to put things back together, and I want to partner with you to do it. So in week two, does anybody remember week two? What was the word for week two? Journey, yes, journey was the word for week two. And we kind of hopped in this proverbial road trip with this family 
known as the nation of Israel. So Abraham is this one guy. He becomes the forefather of this entire nation of people, becomes millions of people, still living today. And uh, we hop into this crazy journey with them all through the entire rest of the Old Testament. That second week, we went through 4,000 years of history in about 30 minutes. It was pretty insane. And we, we just hopped on the ride. And what we learned was that God never left this family group. And the promise he made to Abraham, which was, I am going to bless the entire world through this family. He continued to stand by that promise. Generation by generation goes by and he reminds them of the promise. Eventually we meet a guy named David. David becomes the king of this nation after they kind of grew to nation size and God gave them their own space. And God comes to this uh, king, David, through a prophet and basically says, listen, this promise that I gave to your forefather Abraham is continuing through you. And not only that, but I'm gonna take someone from your family line and I'm gonna place them on an eternal throne. It's gonna be a kingdom that's gonna last forever. And as a king who wants your dynasty to continue, David's like, sweet, I can, I can live with that. My kingdom living on forever. But the nation of Israel starts to go downhill. And that was some of the history that we covered there. And what about that promise? Last week, Patrick preached. What was last week's word? You remember last week's word? Gospel, gospel. The gospel, and the concept is, uh, the word gospel means good news. The good news is that God didn't forget that promise. And he comes in and he sends Jesus, which is, he came, God came in the flesh, God in the flesh, what we call Jesus, and Jesus was there. And Jesus says, look, not only am I going to keep the promise to bless the entire world through this family line, not only am I going to keep the promise to put a king on the throne that lasts forever, King David's throne, I'm going to be that king. And I'm going to establish a new kingdom, and I'm inviting you to be part of it. And so that was Jesus' message. The kingdom of heaven is here. So all of his teaching revolved around, like, what's the kingdom of heaven like? And we learned that the things in the kingdom of heaven are not like the things of the earth. And kind of this upside-down uh, kingdom, like where the first become last and the last become first, and the way to be the greatest is to become a servant of all and all these things. And that's the kingdom. And it's crazy how much this story has progressed from beginnings through the journey into the gospel. And Jesus' ministry gets us through the first four books of the New Testament. And Patrick talked about them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But by the very end of Jesus' ministry, what Jesus came to do uh, is he came to live a perfect life. He gave his life for the sins of the world, and then he, he died. But by his own power, he raised from the dead. This becomes the central message of the first believers in Jesus because they saw him. And we have evidence that over 500 people bore witness to the fact that Jesus did raise from the dead. And when we get to the very end of the Gospels, Jesus is about to ascend back to heaven. And this is where we get our first piece of scripture today. You can just read it on the screens. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. See, up until now, this promise that had been revealed to Abraham and his whole family had been kind of knowing about it and carrying it on, various phases of faithfulness, the majority of their history, most of them were unfaithful. But there was always a little string of people who were faithful and they knew that this promise was gonna come, but it was always a closed group. Like it wasn't really open to everyone. It was only for 
the Israelites, really. And occasionally someone, they called them Gentiles. These are the outsiders, people who are not Jews. They would come in on the promise and they would learn about the God of, of, of the Israelites and they would worship him. And God was cool with that. He wanted people to come in, but it wasn't like a wide open door. It was mostly contained within this very small group, relatively speaking, the nation of Israel. But then Jesus does this thing. He establishes a kingdom and he stands in front of his disciples at the end of his life on earth and he throws open the doors of this kingdom and he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go into the world and I want you to make disciples of all nations. And in this moment, God's promise to Abraham, boom, goes into effect. Not just for one country, not just for one people group, but for the whole world. It's a beautiful thing. It's the gospels. That's the kingdom of God. We've got beginnings, we've got journey, we've got gospel. And today's word is church. Church. When you look through the rest of the Bible, uh, that's what we find, the church. Uh, as the church kicks off, we see, uh, we see the apostles, the disciples, the original closest followers of Jesus uh, being kind of the leaders of the church. Um, and, and the primary people that we see, these primary teachers and preachers and church planters and missionaries and pastors and the movers and the shakers, it's the same group, this core group that Jesus had spent three and a half years investing in and teaching, pouring into. But what happens next is amazing. God, Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples. And you know what they do? They go into the world and they make disciples. A disciple is a learner or a follower. So they begin to go just immediately to the people around them. And they begin to teach this message of who Jesus is and that he died for their sins and that he rose from the grave and that God has a plan for them. And they believe and they come into the family. And then you know what those disciples do? They go and they make more disciples, and it begins this exponential just chain reaction of disciples making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, and then within just a few decades, it's, it's amazing, there are hundreds and thousands of Christians all over the world, particularly around the Mediterranean region, but we start to see missionaries going into India and up into Europe and down into Africa, and, and basically what we see uh, is the very next book of the Bible. We've talked about um, the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the next book is Acts. And the book of Acts is the history of the, the first several decades of the church. And what we see is this history unfolding. And what happens when God's Holy Spirit moves inside of people and changes their life, and a movement begins. That's what the majority of the rest of the New Testament is about. And we find that it's written in the form of letters. See, uh, God comes along and he takes these little notes and he sticks them underneath the windshield wiper of our life and he begins to teach us some things. We're talking about church today. Um, what is church? Like odds are really good that if someone came to you this afternoon and said, what'd you do this morning? You would say, I went to church, went to church. That's good, it's a word, it's what we did. I went to church. If we drove downtown, you might see a lot of old buildings with steeples and things, and we say, that is a what? That is a church. In our culture, churches really become a lot about uh, facilities and about programs, and that's what the church is in America today, and that's what the vocabulary word means today, but as we look at the first church this morning, what I want to do is, is kind of investigate, what were they about? And maybe by extension, what should we be about? 
So if you got a Bible today, let's grab one. Actually, and I wanted to have my paper Bible with me on stage. I think it's back at the sound booth. If y'all see it, why don't y'all bring it up here to me? We, we uh, made this kind of commitment at the beginning of the series. Like, we're getting pretty tied to our digital devices, especially, like, when it comes to books and things. Because, I mean, who needs paper anymore? Like, you know, it's all digital. Uh, but kind of this, this challenge, like, hey, if you got a paper Bible, bring it with you to church. If you don't, that's fine. You can look it up on the Bible app. Version is a great Bible app. And we have some paper Bibles that we give away every week on that shelf over there by the wall. So if you don't have a good readable version of the Bible, well, take one of those. It's for you. They're, they're free. That's why we have them. Um, but we've got this opportunity to look into the Bible, so let's do it. So if you've got a Bible, what we're going to do is instead of flipping to a book of the Bible this morning, I want you to flip to the very beginning of your Bibles this morning. And we did this in the Old Testament. I want to do it with the New Testament. The very beginning of the Bible, you've got the table of contents. So open that up and look at it. Have you got one for me? Oh, you're the man. Thank you. Um, see, I brought my Bible to church, but then I got busy and talking and Flip to the very beginning, table of contents. You learned this in, in elementary school with your library class, you know. It tells you what's in the book. Um, I tell you, uh, in our middle school small group that I've been leading uh, every other week at my house, we start every single Bible study with a pretty cool thing that I'd encourage you to, to try. We just recite all the books of the New Testament because that's what we're studying this year. We're trying to learn all the books in the New Testament. And um, if, if you've ever been like trying to look up a book in the Bible or a verse in the Bible and you're just like... Uh, I can't find it. it. Memorizing the books of the Bible is very helpful and, and can help you kind of see the thing, the outline of the book, but your table of contents is very helpful too. So we did this with the Old Testament, and I want to take kind of a quick journey through the New Testament so we can see what's in there and then ultimately get to what the church is all about. So we talked about the first four books of the Bible. It'll be up on the screen here. These are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then we get to the book of Acts, which we just talked about. But after the book of Acts come a series of letters. And so the next section of books that we see are all letters, and you'll see that they're named after cities. Uh, and so we've got Romans and First and Second Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and First and Second Thessalonians. And if you know any of your Mediterranean geography, you'll know that those are all either cities or like uh, uh, Galatia, for example, isn't a city. It's kind of a region in, Eastern, in Western Turkey. And so uh, the churches in Galatia all kind of receive these. And these were letters that were written all by a guy named the Apostle Paul. Paul was handpicked by Jesus to become the first missionary to go out to the non-Jewish world. And so that's what these letters are. And so as all of these churches grow, I mean, tens and thousands, hundreds of thousands of Christians all over the world, the original apostles couldn't preach at every single church every single week. So they begin to write these letters of correspondence to teach the people, like, how you should think and behave and conduct, conduct church things and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Then we get uh, to the next little the book, um, Next up, some more letters, and these are all by Paul. These are all named uh, for people. And so we see Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And these are all books uh, written to some specific disciples of the apostle Paul. How cool is that? These guys like have books in the Bible named after them. That is really, really neat. And then we move on beyond that, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon. We get Hebrews, which we're actually not going to cover in this series. Hebrews is a fantastic book. It's actually one of my favorite books. It's one of the bigger books in the New Testament. Um, and it's got a lot of interesting history. In fact, one interesting thing about this is that we're not 100% sure who wrote Hebrews. There's a lot of opinions and thoughts. Um, but it was one that was circulated in the early church, and it teaches a lot about how the Old Testament imagery from the temple and things like priests and, and prophets and all and all that, how all that kind of translates over to 
the church and how some of those things compare. So that's a really good book to study if you've got some time for that. I'd love to do a series on that one day soon. Next, we get to the book of James, which is also not a letter. Uh, it's a book of teaching, and, and this is by James, the half-brother of Jesus. We actually we should did a teaching series on this a couple years ago. It's up on our podcast. You could go search for. Um, but it's more like a wisdom literature, almost like mini sermonettes in each, in each little section of James. And then we get to some more letters. The next letters are letters not written by Paul. So we get some letters from Peter. Uh, we get some letters from John. Peter was the leader of the apostles at the beginning of the church. He was like, a lot of times in the gospels, we see him being kind of the loud mouth, getting in trouble because he was just, hey, it was very ambitious and he wanted to go. And Jesus was all like, Peter, you need to chill out. But then there was one day where he was like, Peter, sick him, boy. And so he just becomes like the leader of the church for a long time. Uh, and then you also get these books by John, John possibly Jesus' best human friend. Uh, so he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He also wrote the gospel called John all the way back at the beginning of the New Testament. And then we get a book uh, called Jude and um, another letter. So the, the last book of the Bible, also written by John, is a book called Revelation. And if you're curious about the book of Revelation, we're spending all next week talking about it. So you want to come back for that. That's going to be next week's, next week's uh, lesson is getting through that book. So as you look through all these things, you can see that clearly... The vast majority of the New Testament is letters. Now, as I looked at this whole section, just like I did with the Old Testament, I was like, what do you teach? Like, what do I pull out of all these letters and teach? And I really thought about going through one whole letter cover to cover. We're actually going to take the book of Romans starting uh, in two weeks, not next week, but the week after. And we're going to spend seven weeks going through the entire book of Romans. So that's kind of the solution there. We're going to study a letter all the way through. Romans has been called the, Paul's most complete expl- explanation of the Gospels. And so that's pretty cool. Um, but instead of doing that, what I realized was to look at the entity that these, these letters were written to and realize that it's us. Like we are the church. And these letters were written to specific individual churches who had maybe specific individual issues. But I tell you what, as I read through the pages of these letters, it sounds real familiar. The things going on in Rome and Corinth were things that I see all the time in, in cities like Wilmington. And I'm thinking, man, some of the teaching there is some teaching that we need to, to learn about. And so as we look at the church and we look at what was written to the church, I think the best thing we could ask ourselves today is, how do we be the church of the New Testament. How do we be a church or the church, the family that's gonna live out the calling that the apostles wrote these letters about? And I wanna encourage you to get into those letters and read them for yourself and understand them more. But in the beginning, this is what I wanna make very clear, and, and you probably know this, you've probably picked up on this. We've been talking about this a lot at our church for years. The church wasn't about a building. It wasn't about programming. It wasn't about go to church for an hour, hour and a half on Sunday morning, or if you volunteer at Venture for five hours because you're here from 7.30 to like 12.30. It wasn't about a time frame on a Sunday. The church was about a movement, a movement of people centered around telling people about Jesus. That was their whole mission. And then they would pick up from where they were and they would send missionaries out to another area that hadn't heard about them yet. Or they would go into an area that maybe had heard about them and say, listen, can we come together and unify around Jesus? I find that when we focus on a building or on programming, a lot of times those are the things that divide churches. Why are there a bajillion denominations? I think it's largely because it's easy for us to lose sight of the original movement, which is a group of people centered around telling the people about Jesus living out that calling in their life. But when we focus on the person of Jesus, suddenly we can unify. 
And that's something that I've seen in churches in Wilmington. I'm friends with pastors from churches all over the city. And when we can come together on those things, we might disagree on specifics here and there, but when it comes to like who Jesus is and what that means for people's life, that's what the church is supposed to be. The early Christians didn't have a notion that church had anything to do with a building. In fact, they were meeting in people's houses. They are meeting upstairs in some, like, some rented space. They were just getting together so that they could hang out and have meals together and see what they could do to serve the people around them, to feed the poor, to take care of the hungry, to take care of the widows, to find homes for orphans, and to take care of God's work on the earth, shining his light into dark places. And so how are we going to do that? So we, I want to look into the Bible today. And the way we're going to land there is actually by looking at a couple of different places from a couple of different letters. And the first place I want to land is in the book of 1 Peter. So if you've got a Bible, flip over to 1 Peter. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter, like I said earlier, was one of the first leaders of the church. Uh, he was the guy who preached the first sermon in Acts chapter 2. And on the day that Peter preached his first sermon, 3,000 people at least got baptized. That was a pretty daggone good sermon. Like sometimes I'm like, I wonder if, you know, like if I even, if anyone would ever accept Jesus from standing on, I can't imagine standing in a crowd of people and a crowd bigger than any church in town, all of them decided to become Christians that day. That's Peter's, that's Peter's first day in ministry. Uh, it got, he got, had some bad days too, but that was, a, that was a pretty good one for him. And he writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he gives us this picture of how he sees the church. And let's just look at this. He says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to become a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Just leave that up there for a minute. I want to unpack this because this is a metaphor. This is a picture, a snapshot of what Peter sees the church being. You ever seen a, a human pyramid like maybe cheerleaders or uh, those old school, like the women who did the, the skis and like they stand on each other's shoulders. That was, that's crazy. Um, and so I picture that, okay? Just get that image in your head as we look through this thing. He says, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. So this is instruction to the church. Back then they didn't think about the church as a building. They thought about church as my community of believers, the people I'm doing life with. And so he says, you know what? You guys are together like a house. And each one of you is like a brick in that house. He calls them a living stone. You, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Each person is like a brick in a wall. And so imagine that human pyramid. Each person needs everybody else in the pyramid. I mean, imagine if the dude in the middle and the bottom is just like, I'm done. He just lays down. What happens to the pyramid? It falls down. And doesn't that happen in community? when someone is not able to be strong enough. But here's the other thing about this human pyramid. Where one person is weak, uh, there might be some other weakness, but where one other person is strong, there is strength. And so maybe there is an instance where someone in the pyramid isn't able to, to, to pull it off right now. You just can't do it, life is hard. Someone else can be stronger for them. And it doesn't work in the cheerleader pyramid, but it works in the church. That like living stones, we're being built into a spiritual house and we stand side by side, but not just to be together. It'd be really cool if we could have all the pool parties and birthday parties and beach parties that we want, and we can, but that's not the purpose. Look, look what he says. You're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. A priest. What's a priest? A priest is someone who intercedes to God for someone. 
I mean, kind of, kind of bridging a gap between God. And so you might have grown up in uh, the Catholic Church or maybe in a different religion where there were priests. And the whole concept of a priest is, that's who I go to if I want to kind of talk to God or about God. Check out what, and I, I want to respect everyone's heritage and their background, but I want to show you also what Scripture says. That when you are in the family of God, when you're a Christian, when you accept Jesus and make him your Lord, you know what you become? You are a priest. This is a teaching known as priesthood of believers. We don't have to go to someone else to pray on our behalf. You can go directly to God. You can pray. That's why we talk about prayer so much here. And check this out. You can pray on someone else's behalf. And it doesn't take a special vestment, some kind of robe or some kind of special collar. It doesn't take a special degree, college education, or, or background. It just takes the ability to say, you know what? I've decided to join the kingdom of God. I've decided to make Jesus my king. Welcome to the priesthood. And you together being built like living stones into a spiritual building. This is a crazy metaphor, you know, like people stacked on top of each other. It's kind of creepy, kind of weird. And so uh, we're going to shift gears from Peter and we're going to go to Paul, okay? Different letter. And we're going to look over, we're going to get a sneak peek at the book of Romans, which we're going to start in two weeks. Flip over to Romans chapter 12, because Romans gives us a different word picture. So you got the, the, the living stones, the wall, okay? The wall of humans. <laughs> he gives us a different word picture. Romans chapter 12, we're in verse eight, uh, verse four. We're gonna read through verse eight. And this picture is pretty awesome. He says, for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. So our metaphor now is not a building anymore, it's a body. We form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. See, one of the word pictures the Bible gives us about the church is that we are a body. And maybe you've heard this, uh, this thing to say, hey, we're the body of Christ. Just after the hurricane, we did a teaching series when we were still over at the movie theater, and we called it uh, Hands and Feet. And the whole idea was like, Wilmington's upside down right now because of a hurricane, and our purpose is to be the hands and the feet of God in this community. We, we are his body. We're out here doing the work of, of God. And um, Paul gives this really interesting warning. He's like, listen, you can't all do the same thing. The beauty of the church is that we come here with different talents and skills and backgrounds and different baggage and different ability. And we've got all these things and we get to come together. And he says, listen, whatever it is that you do, you play a role in the family and you can't all be arms. If you were all arms, we'd be this crazy like amoeba arm monster. And like we'd all be reaching and grabbing, but nobody would be walking and nobody would be looking and nobody would be listening. And he's like, but we can't all be eyes. If we were all eyes, like we would just be, it would hurt like when it got windy. Like we, it would, we especially if none of us were eyelids, like we need all that, right? And it's a, you know, it's, a, it's a silly metaphor, but it's so powerful because think about our bodies. We need all the different parts of our bodies to be working in unison together to accomplish this goal. And so that's what the church is. The question that each of us gets to wrestle with then is, but what's my role? See, it's really easy to make church about something I go attend. It's really easy to make church about something that I, I'm a member of. Uh, at our church, we don't practice membership like in the traditional way. Um, it's not something we see in scripture that you have to come forward and place your membership at a local body. Like you don't see that, that's not bad, it's helpful for some things. What I believe is that each one of us, if we accept Jesus as our Lord, 
we immediately get the opportunity to assume a role. Question to wrestle with for each one of us. What is my role? Not on Sunday morning. That's not what I'm saying. There are some roles on Sunday morning. For example, one of, uh, one of my giftedness, I hope, is teaching and public speaking. This is one of the roles I play on Sunday morning. But the church isn't about an event. The church isn't about a facility. It's about community together and shining God's light into the darkness of the world. So I need to take a look at my life and say, what am I doing on the other days of the week to be in people's lives? This is the really cool thing. There's a, a very beautiful biblical word that happens in the passage we just read. And it's that each of us has a gift. See, there's, there's a difference between like talents and abilities and a gift. And I don't want to clarify that. Because there's some things that you can just do because maybe you're six foot four and, you know, 250 pounds and you can, you know, play basketball really good. Like, that's great. That's, that's like talent. That's good. Your body's built that way. But I believe this, and scripture teaches this, that when God comes into your life, he also gives you gifts. Things that without him, you're not as good at doing. So I've, I've watched people transform from being completely grumpy old, you know, codgers to becoming some of the most generous, hospitable, kind people because they met Jesus. It wasn't because they were naturally kind. It was because God's Holy Spirit moved into them. And did you see the list of things it said? It was like, maybe, maybe your talent is, is teaching. Maybe your talent is generosity. Maybe your talent is mercy. And there's a whole list in a lot, of, a lot of other places, and none of them are exhaustive. There are lists upon lists of things that God can pour into your life. But the question is, what is your role? And to help clarify that question, it's not... What do I do on Sunday morning? Do I set up chairs? Like, is that my spiritual gift? Uh, I set up chairs and I get them really straight every time. Like, maybe, maybe that is a good spiritual gift. But the bigger question is this. What is your role and what is your talent? What is your giftedness and what is your ability that you can use to lead someone else to Jesus? Because do you remember the original mission, the movement of the church? It was about a community of people together Telling people about what Jesus does in their life. So think about this. Through your job, you already have a job. That's a gift that you already have in your life. I don't know if it's necessarily one as a spiritual gift. It might have been. It might have been one that you just kind of fell into. And, but through your job, what ability as part of the church, the body of Christ, can you have to help lead someone to Jesus? I have to sit next to someone in a cubicle for nine hours a day. Guess what? That's a great opportunity to use your influence to Help someone know about Jesus. Tell your story. Tell them what God's doing in your life. Maybe help them through some hard times. If you're a parent, that's an area in your life where you can serve. If you have a specific skill or talent or like a hobby, how can you use that in the kingdom of God to lead someone else to Jesus? How can you contribute through your resources, through your finances, uh, to help the kingdom of God advance by supporting a missionary or a nonprofit that is a Christian-based thing or a church function type thing. Like, how can I use this giftedness that I have? How can I use in the gatherings the abilities that I do have? Our musicians on stage are a great example of that, you know? What are the things I can do in my life to help draw someone closer to Jesus? Maybe for the first time, or maybe to continue their growth. And suddenly, we find ourselves as part of this unified body. Time out. So this is a really big thing I want to take a step over here and talk about. The body, uh, I'm getting closer to 40, and the body is just not what it used to be, you know? And if you're beyond me, like, just tell me, like, does it get any better? Everyone says no. Like, it's more ibuprofen, more, like, heat pads and stuff. Like, our bodies begin to wear out. And if the church is a body, 
what do we do about the parts that are hurt? What do we do about the parts that are injured? You, you might have some baggage in your life of being part of a church family that left some hurt, you know? And that, that's terrible. I hate that. It, it's, it's likely that there was some hurt going on at that church, and it just, you know, how when you've got a hurt ankle, I mean, it affects your whole gait. Like, it's hard to, your whole body suffers. I'm sorry that that happened, but I think there's a solution. Here's the thing. Uh, this past week was a really good... Uh, Really good basketball uh, series came to an end. I don't know if you follow NBA basketball. You don't have to care about NBA basketball. I watch it once a year, and it's during the finals. So right about this time of year, I watch about seven games of basketball in the NBA, and that's about it. I keep up for the rest of the year so I can know who's in. And, but the main narrative this year was the great juggernauts, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, they keep winning and winning and winning. They got this super team, and it was just going down. They were going to play the Toronto Raptors, and everyone initially was like, you know, can the Raptors even keep up, Right. The major narrative was one of their big superstars, the Warriors, Kevin Durant, was out on an injury. And they're like, this is their chance. If the Raptors can win while Kevin Durant is out, blah, blah, blah. And so this injury on the team really affected. And here's the thing, it did. The Raptors get up fast, they do some really good things, they start to win, Kevin Durant comes back. Oh yeah, he's gonna win, he's gonna do great. Guess what he does? He tears his Achilles. Yeah, after being out with a calf injury, he goes, and that's terrible, if you ever had anybody it's Achilles injuries are terrible. He goes down and it's like, okay, the Raptors are back on top. And then guess what happens? Another superstar, his name's Clay Thompson for the, for the Warriors. He goes down with a torn, I think, ACL. You know what happened? The Warriors didn't win the series. The Raptors won the championship. This is what we know. Injured bodies aren't as useful. They hurt. Injured bodies uh, take time to heal. And injured bodies have a hard time contributing to a larger whole. This is what I love about the church. The church is not only a body together, but we are a place where the body can heal. And what I've found is that when we stay plugged into the body, it begins to heal itself. These guys that hurt themselves playing basketball after some rehab and some time, their bodies are gonna heal. And I think the metaphor continues. And so if you're here today and you're hurting in some ways, Man, you're in the right place. The more we worship together, the more we study God's word together, and the more we get into what God has in our lives for us to do, the more we can heal. I will say this, though. I've had some pretty bad injuries. I've got a, a bad knee thing going on right now, and it lets me know all the time when it's, when it's hurting. You know, it's like, okay, you don't need to walk anymore. Um, unfortunately, in a community like this, it's not always easy to tell when parts of the body are hurting. And so if you're hurting today, Man, this is your body. This is your family. Let somebody know. We got a time where our elders pray with people every single week. Maybe that'd be a great time just to walk over and say, like, I got this going on with my marriage, with my life, with my finances, with my personal stuff, with my job, whatever. Let somebody know so that it's together we can come together and help us heal. As we wrap up this whole thing about church, I want to take us to one last part of the body that we haven't talked about. And that is the head. There's one head to the body of the church. And it's not me. It's not the preacher of any church, though maybe we have a role to play. It's not our elders, though they have an important role to play. It's not any of you. There's one head to the church. Uh, and in one more of the letters, uh, the Apostle Paul kind of takes this little note and he slips it underneath our windshield wiper and he gives it to us and he lets us know something important. Colossians 1.18, he's talking about Jesus. He says, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Jesus is the head. 
It's his gig, it's his mission, it's him, it's about him, it's for him, it's by him, it's through him, and guess what? Without Jesus, we wouldn't even be spiritually alive. He's the one who gives us the ability to interact with God. We are spiritually dead without Jesus. But he has the authority and the power to bring us to life. And it's under his headship that we get to find purpose, that we as a community get to find a reason to be in this city and do things the way that we do it. It's the reason to get up and, and raise our kids a certain way. It's the reason the dads to be a father in a certain way, moms to be a mother in a certain way, spouses to love your spouse in a certain way. And as we read through all of these letters, one thing we see over and over again is that if we can emulate the head, if we can be like Jesus, individually we'll be healthier, we'll be spiritually healthier, and as a body, we can live with the mission, the one that was handed to Abraham thousands of years ago before, and carried on through the church today in the kingdom with Christ as the king. We can handle that mission and carry it on day by day uh, so much better. The church, the assembly of people that is the believers around Jesus, if we rally around the mission of Jesus, he says, I came to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus came to do. And he came to bring life, abundant life. And he came in to wipe away every tear and to come in and bring purpose to people's life. And we can rally around his mission, shining light in dark places, showing people their way back to God. Man, what God has been able to do in people's lives is unbelievable. Marriages saved, children given direction in life, poor people fed, uh, hurting people healed, lost people found. It's unbelievable what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. And we get to stand on the shoulders of those first believers who received these first letters and continue to live out that mission today. It's unbelievable, but here's the thing. It's undeniable. There's, you can't look at what the church has done in, in, in the world at large and specifically in people's lives and say that, that it's not real. Because it is. It's changing people. I am so proud to call you my church family. I'm so pumped to, 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 to get to stand here with you every week and talk about God's word. I, I love that we've been able to go through the Bible. We've got one more week of this left. If you're a guest here today, I want you to know something. There is room in this body for you. We want you to be a part of what we're doing. Not because of extra you know, people in seats or, or anything like that, but because we want you to have a place where you can heal, a place where you can find purpose and you can find a role in what God's doing in this world. And if you don't know Jesus, a place where you can find your king. That's what's in the letters. That's what it means to be the church. Let's pray together.